0: Does the blessing of God depend upon your faithfulness? In Genesis 26, we see Isaac moving because of a famine. He then is living among the Philistines, falls into the same sin as his father Abraham, and despite great opposition, he prospers wonderfully and enters into a treaty or covenant with Abimelech. For the Lord is our defense, yeah, us. For the Lord is our defense. Yes to defend, for the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us, for the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend One of the first trials we see Abraham having to face in Genesis 12 is that of a famine. Well, in the opening verses, we see Isaac going through a similar experience. Only he's having to deal with, it would appear, way more livestock, and probably many more servants, and feeling the responsibility of that. So he begins to head toward Egypt, at least that's how it reads. Egypt, again, was that well-watered area. But as he goes there, God intervenes. He meets with him and tells him to, quote-unquote, sojourn, that is, stay temporarily, in the area of Girar. Obeying that, he sets up camp in that place, and God reassures him of his covenant intentions. In verses 6-11, through 11, after being reminded of his father's obedience to God, Isaac, instead of replicating that obedience, does the one thing that his father got wrong. He displays the same cowardice, believing that the men of the area might be prepared to go to battle over Rebekah, and he fears for his life. Isaac's fears do not transpire. Instead, one day Abimelech, who's probably a descendant of the Abimelech that Abraham interacted with, he sees Isaac and Rebecca interact in a way that tells him immediately that this is a married couple. This grieves Abimelech, and so he confronts Isaac and then issues a public warning of capital punishment should anyone touch Isaac or Rebekah. In verses 12 through 16, despite the famine that has been going on elsewhere, God prospers Isaac a hundredfold. And so in addition to all the wealth inherited from Abraham, here is a man who's advancing tremendously. And the men of the area, the Philistines, they they see this and they're spiteful and envious. And so they fill up his wells. Given how crucial water is to survival, this would have had an immediate and perhaps even devastating impact upon Isaac and his business. Then Abimelech comes to him and encourages him to move away. In verses 17 through 25, we find that Isaac moves, heads to the Valley of Gerar, because he knows that his father had dug wells there. And even though they're filled up, he no doubt thinks that he can redig them again for his purposes. He does that. Then he's driven away from there. And you just see this constant contention that happens between him and the Philistines as he tries to settle. Eventually, of course, He finds a particular place where he is no longer troubled by them and he establishes his camp there, eventually then going to Beersheba where Abraham had been before and had set up a grove and worshipped God and he goes and he does the same. In verse 26 through 33, we discover Abimelech seeking out Isaac along with two important men in his community. They endeavour to make peace with him. They can see that the Lord is with him. And perhaps as they consider the harsh treatment that Isaac has received, combined with his increasing power and influence in the area, there's maybe a a little bit of self-preservation here. And so they seek to establish a covenant of peace with him, and that's what they do. And so in the final two verses, while so much is going right for Isaac and Rebekah, we learn the sad news that Esau has taken two wives from the daughters of Heth from Canaanites. This is a grief to them, as you would imagine. And so we come to application one. There are places that God does not want you to go. In this instance, it's Isaac being forbidden from going to Egypt, whereas later we're going to discover the entire household of Jacob is going to be led by God into Egypt. The only way you can know that you are where you're meant to be is by seeking the face of God, maintaining daily fellowship with God and trusting him to open doors, hedge your way, and to make you very conscious of his will from moment to moment. 2. Parental sins often get perpetuated. Even if Isaac knew for a fact that his life was in danger, the lie he told was unwarranted, sinful, and selfish. Children, it's important to remember that Isaac had a good father, but not a perfect father. And the same is true of you. Make sure you don't follow your father or your mother into their sins. Follow them in their love for God. Three, Christian marriages should be loving, playful, and fun. And we see that Isaac in this passage is spotted by Abimelech sporting with his wife. The word sporting is similar to, it's just an intensified form of the word that is the same as Isaac's name. His name means laugh. And so there's this intensified sense of laughter or joy. And so in a way that is not unbecoming, basically Isaac is rejoicing with the wife of his youth. You husbands and you wives do not normalize neglect of one another. Don't allow weeks to go by without meaningful and playful and physical contact with one another. There are way too many divorces among professing Christians who disconnected from one another years before they finally part ways. Don't let it happen to you. 4. Unbelievers watch the lives of believers. Isaac had no idea that Abimelech was watching him with Rebecca, and that's often the case. The world watches you, Christian, they watch you through their windows. They watch you going to work. They watch you going to church. They watch you interact with the rest of your family. They see what you do. And, whether intentionally or not, they are going to spot inconsistencies in your life. May God give you and me grace to walk circumspectly. 5. God's people do not need to fight every injustice against them. Isaac, in this passage, with all the contention going on around him, shows a spirit like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it may be portrayed or seen by some to be a a sort of sinful passivity, but it's not. What he is doing is acting in faith. And like the Lord Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That, I contend, is what Isaac is doing. As I say, this is an evidence of faith. God had promised him something and he didn't need to manipulate the outcome. And the same is true of you. If God has promised you something, you don't need to make it happen. Stop justifying unnecessary fights and fret not thyself because of evildoers. And finally, God's people should expect conflict even in the midst of blessing. Isaac is experiencing tremendous blessing during this season of his life, but he also experiences constant conflict and hostility. I couldn't help but think of the early church when I read this passage, because Isaac had denied that Rebekah was his wife, just like the disciples forsook Christ and fled, and Peter denies him with oaths and cursing. And then a matter of days later, they have repented, God sends his spirit upon them in power and they enjoy this tremendous hundredfold blessing, this prosperity in the church and yet still experiencing conflict. That's the experience of the people of God. The the, the blessing doesn't depend on us. We should repent of our sins. We should turn from our sins. But God favors us because of his covenant promises. Note the passage. See how God has covenanted to bless his people. That's the reason. And so to this day, we go to Christ, we plead for prosperity. He sends and multiplies his church despite our sins and helps us to overcome conflict, not to avoid it. It is because of Christ and his faithfulness that the Lord will, to use the language of the passage, make room for his elect people. And Isaac here also foreshadows our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom kings will come and seek to make peace because the nations belong to him and his great power and authority is going to humble them and they will worship him.